Well, good morning, and I'm glad you're here joining us digitally. Uh, if there's anything we need in these times, it's the Word of God, and so we're going to continue through the Gospel of Mark. So get your Bibles out. You're all sitting around in your living rooms or wherever you are. Open up your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, and you can go to chapter 1. There's one thing that I know that's on your mind these days. Um, it's on everyone's mind, and it is sickness. Sickness is on my mind, it's on your mind, and it's all because of what's happening in our world right now. In fact, right now, the most Googled word is COVID-19, as everyone is trying to get a handle on what is this sickness and what does it mean for us as a nation, what does it mean for us as churches, as families, as individuals, what is going on in the world. And uh, it's interesting that when you think about this sickness, really, sickness has always been a part of the world, right? Sickness has always been a part of this fallen world ever since Genesis 3, the fall. Uh, sickness has haunted us, and there have been plagues throughout history, and uh, we come now into our day and age, and, and it's raging around us right now. Sickness is on the mind because it's in the world, and it's all around us. But I do think that there's not anything all that different right now than any other day. What's actually happening right now is just the emphasis of something that has already happened and is happening and has been happening. And if we want to trace the reality of sickness back to its roots, we can trace it back to the reality of death, of the reality that there's a curse on the world. The reason that death exists is because we as a people created by God are under this curse. And so in a sense, we're all sick because we're all dying. We will all be dead, and that is just a fact of reality. I hope it doesn't sound morbid. What this pandemic is doing is forcing us to realize something that we really don't like to think about, right? We don't like to think about death. In fact, especially, I think, in our affluent country of America, we can do a lot to uh, get death outside of our minds. We can prolong our lives. Uh, we have a, a long life in, in comparison to some other third world countries. We, we have a longer uh, life average. Uh, we, we can avoid pain. We have things that can numb us. We have uh, ways to avoid uh, even being near death. We don't like thinking about it. We are often ignoring those things. It's considered uh, morbid, odd, perhaps, to think too much on death. But what this pandemic is doing is reminding us of something that has always been true, and that is this. We are all dying. We're all going to die. There's no escaping death. The shadow of death is always over us. And as, as, as much as we can try to act like we're going to live forever, and this has no effect on me. The world is kind of being shaken up right now, and we're all being reminded of this blunt reality. We're going to die. We're going to die. Sickness isn't anything new. Sickness has always been in the world. We are all, in this sense, sick. Death is coming to all of us. We are all heading to the grave at one point or another. 
Now, in these times, uh, it can become really hopeless if we don't have some solid ground to stand on. And so what we need is to look at the truth. So you're there in Mark chapter 1. And what I love about uh, God and what he's doing, I mean, I love a lot of things about God, but in particular, there's something that is always pretty neat, is when God arranges something you're studying that becomes so relevant to what you're going through. I'm sure that's happened in your own life. What is happening as we're working through the Gospel of Mark is what you're going to see in this particular section is Jesus and sickness. That's the title of the message this morning because we're going to read this section and you're going to see that there are unwell people all around Jesus all the time. Uh, Whether it's a demon oppression, whether it's fever, whether it's leprosy, whether it's unnamed sickness, the sick are all around Jesus and we get to see what does Jesus do with the sick. What do we learn about Jesus, and what do we learn about ourselves and what we need by observing Jesus dealing with these people who are coming to him with physical ailments? What do we learn? And what I think we're going to find is that this is very relevant today for us. And and this was, you know, on the agenda to be preached months ago, and I love how God has brought us this text for this day and that it's going to be an encouragement for us, and it's going to, I think, instruct us on some priorities we need to have as we consider Jesus and what he does with the sick. Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to read an entire portion here. Um, We're going to read an entire portion from Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 45. So that's a little bit longer, but you could bear with me, so get your Bibles open. Really encourage you to follow along, and I want you to observe, and one thing you're going to notice, I want you to observe those who are unwell in these verses, okay? So that's your job. As you're at home, listening in, find those who are sick. See if you could catch them. Let's start in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. She began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he 
prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. It's quite a text, isn't it? I'm sure you followed along and you saw all the different sick people who are there. And it's in this context of dealing with all kinds of sick and unwell and demon-oppressed people that we learn a lot about Jesus. I want to point out three features about Jesus, three aspects of his character, of who he is, three things about Jesus that really help us in these times. Uh, they're, They're basic, they're right there on the page, you'll see them yourself, it's obvious, and I think what Mark is doing as he writes this, he's helping us understand who Jesus is. Listen, if you need anything these days, you need a clear picture of Jesus Christ. If you need anything, you need to know and reflect upon and entrust yourself to Jesus, which means you have to be familiar with what he's like. So I want to start with the first observation about Jesus. Here's what we see in these verses. Number one, Jesus' power is displayed. In all these verses, you see it in a number of ways. Jesus' power is put on display. First of all, you see it in his teaching. There in chapter, or verse 21, when he comes into the synagogue in Capernaum, he starts teaching, and everyone is kind of shaken up by this new kind of teaching. You see there in verse 22, uh, where it says, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. See, what the scribes would do is they would always cite other rabbis and other sources They would never speak on their own authority. They were always saying, well, Rabbi Hillel said this, or Rabbi Shammai said this, and therefore you should believe this. And and Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus just comes in and he begins teaching on his own authority. Uh, He has no one else to refer to because there's no higher source. There's no higher authority than himself. He's speaking on his own authority, and immediately they are recognizing that he is different than the scribes. He has power and authority in the way he teaches. And it's clear that he is teaching God's holy word. Not only is he teaching something that has authority, his authority is demonstrated in the fact that he commands an unclean spirit to leave the person there in the synagogue, and the demon flees. The demon uh, convulses the, the man and then comes out. The, Jesus has power over the unclean spirit. His teaching is able to remove the unclean spirit from the person. 
They, they, they cry out in verse 27, a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Jesus' power is put on display that he speaks like no other man. He comes and speaks with authority from heaven. He speaks and demons flee. They listen to his voice. He has power. But not only does his teaching have power, he, he demonstrates his power in this. He heals. You saw that sev- this several times. Verse 25, obviously, you see him healing the man with the demon. You go down to verse 31, you see him healing Simon's mother-in-law. He commands sickness to leave. He commands a fever to leave. And it says the fever left. And that's commanding germs. <laughs> that's commanding a virus. And the virus gets up and walks out. He, he's healing Verse 34, look, it says, it says all the, the city is coming to Jesus. They, they're recognizing how powerful he is. They're surrounding him. And it says in verse 34, he's healing many who were sick with various diseases. And he's casting out many demons. His, his power is also not only to teach what's true, but to heal. You see it again with the leper in verse 40. The leper comes to him, he's begging and this man has this leprosy. That means he, he would have had problems with his skin, with his sense of touch. It's even possible he would have been having you know, parts of his body beginning to decay. It's kind of a gross thing to think about what a leper was. But Jesus commands the man's sickness to be removed, and he's healed. He is speaking to uh, flesh and tissue and he's causing it to come back to life and to be healed. Jesus is putting on display power. Do you see the power of Jesus Christ here in this text? Uh, don't, don't cross over it so quickly. Don't pass through this too quickly. What Mark is attempting to do in this opening chapter in this gospel is to prove chapter 1 verse 1. It says, at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark wants you to be convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. That is God incarnate. God come to be with man. And he wants to show you that. And so here he is showing you how powerful he is to speak what is true and to heal. Power over sickness, power over disease, power over demons. He is wanting to convince us of the power of Jesus Christ. Pause and think about this. Think about what's going on in our world. And remember this. Jesus has all power and authority. Jesus has all power in heaven and on earth. Think of the most powerful thing you know of. Some of us have seen Niagara Falls and the power of the water crashing down amazes us. Or we, we can watch a wave crash down. It's amazing power. We can even think of something bigger than that, a, a sun. Our sun is exuding all kinds of power and energy. And then you could zoom out even further and you could see galaxies and supernovas, power beyond comprehension. And think of this, Jesus upholds all of that. By the word of his power. It's no wonder he can cast the sickness out of a man. It's no wonder he can tell the demons to flee and they do. Jesus has all power. 
all the power in the universe, all the greatest power of creation is like a hiccup compared to the power of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And here he is walking among the sick, and he can cast out sickness whenever he pleases. Let me ask you this. In the midst of what's going on, have you sought out time to worship Jesus Christ for his power? Have you paused to recognize that Jesus has power over this sickness that's plaguing us right now? That Jesus has authority over it and he can command it to do whatever he wills? Have you worshipped him that he is sovereign over this? He's powerful over this? He is not subjected to this and he's unsure what to do. He's over this. Jesus has all power. And in this section, we see Jesus' power displayed because he is the Son of God. Here's the second thing we see. Here, here, here it is. It's on your handout if you're following along. You could fill this in. Second, we see that Jesus' pity is deep or his compassion is deep or his sympathy is deep. You see, I want you to go back to the, the synagogue moment where Jesus casts out this man with or the demon in this, this man, and he tells the demon to flee, and the man convulses, and finally the demon leaves, and, and they're all amazed, and it says there in verse 28 that his fame is spreading everywhere. It, it's spreading everywhere like wildfire. People are amazed at Jesus Christ. Everyone's hearing about it. The region of Galilee is all hearing, so that even by the end of that very day, in verse 32, all the city is coming out to see him. And so in the midst of this growing popularity that Jesus has, he, in verse 29, he leaves the synagogue and he enters in the house of Simon and Andrew. I find this fascinating. Sometimes you've maybe heard of the person who uh, had a lot of good close friends and then somehow they made it big. Maybe they won the lottery. Maybe they got on some TV show and, and made a lot of money, became a celebrity. Maybe they were in a band that no one had ever heard of, and suddenly the band blows up, and everyone is now clamoring at them, and everyone knows who they are. Uh, some people have said that when, when someone becomes popular, they lose some of their closest relationships because now they're so concerned about the crowds and the popularity and the, the masses and and sometimes, sadly, that's even the case in the church. The, the preacher is more looking for a platform. He wants a big mass of people to follow him and listen to him, and he'll preach to stadiums. And, and sadly, there's sometimes a correlation with the more popular someone gets, the more uninterested they are in the individual. Uh, the, the more well-known they are, really all they're caring about is the masses, the viewership, uh, you know, how many people are listening in. And they become kind of callous to the individual person who's hurting. Not Jesus. I love this because while his fame spreads, he still has compassion for the individual. See, Simon and, and Andrew and James and John take uh, Jesus and they bring him home. Just to, to a regular house. And Simon's mother-in-law, she's lying ill and she has a fever. And it says immediately they told Jesus about her. Now Jesus, watch this, he's not impatient, not the slightest hint of impatience. Jesus doesn't feel disrupted here. There's no sense of hurry. In fact, the rest of the day Jesus spends with the family. 
And he goes in there and he heals Simon's mother-in-law. He tells the fever to leave and the fever leaves. I love this. You know, today, Jesus is being worshipped by, by thousands of people. You know, big groups and little groups and, and, and masses of people who are gathering digitally and maybe some people who are even gathering in person and in small groups. Jesus is being worshipped by multitudes. And in heaven, you know what? Jesus will be worshipped by multitudes on top of multitudes. Jesus will be worshipped by the masses and is worshipped by the masses. But listen, this is demonstrated that Jesus still has compassion on the individual. In other words, Jesus still knows you. Jesus still cares about you. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your struggle, your pain. Jesus understands you. The Bible says that he is sympathetic, that he understands your weakness, that the fact that he is worshipped by millions does not negate the fact that he knows you as an individual and cares for you. He cares for the individual. He's still interested in you. And in all eternity, though he will be surrounded by worshipers, he will still care about you. You see this again with the leper. Look at verse 40. The leper comes to him, another individual. He comes imploring him, kneeling, it says. If you will, you can make me clean. Look at verse 41. Moved with pity. Those are precious words. Jesus sees a suffering man, a sick man. Listen, this man was unclean. This man was not supposed to come near to Jesus, but he did anyway. Close enough for Jesus to touch him. He was supposed to shout unclean if he got close to anyone. And Jesus, it says, is moved with pity. But more than just the feeling, it says he stretched out his hand and touched him. Which was so taboo to touch a leper. But he touches the sick. He cares about the individual. Yes, the masses are all hoarding around him, but he's moved with pity over the individual who's hurting. Think about that word pity with me. Compassion. Jesus is a a full, true man. The fullest, truest, most real man. And he has an emotional response to the suffering of this leper. The word pity has the idea of deep, gut-wrenching feelings. It's the kind of feelings that parents have when they watch their child hurt themselves. And they take on the pain themselves. They feel bad for their own child when their child is hurting. They take the suffering of the child, and though they are not suffering themselves, they take it and put it on themselves, and they feel what they're feeling. To, To have compassion and to have pity is to not detach yourself from other people's sufferings. It's the opposite. It's to feel what other people are suffering. It is to take it upon yourself. To pity is this. It's when the bond of love is so deep that your pain is my pain. Our commitment to one another is so real that your suffering is my suffering. That when you weep, I weep. When you rejoice, I rejoice. To have pity 
is not to detach or to run. It is to take upon yourself the hurts, the pains, the sufferings, the sorrows of those people around you, to take it upon yourself. And Jesus sees a leper who is dying. His body is decaying. He's sick. And he looks, and in his gut, he's moved with pity. And the pain that the leper experiences becomes Jesus' own pain. He's moved with pity. He's moved with compassion. I want you to think about this. Can you imagine Jesus today walking around in the hospitals of New York, Chicago, or Italy where there's masses of sick people? Just envision that. How deep is his heart of compassion? Bottomless depths of compassion in the heart of our Savior. And he would be walking through. Do you imagine how gut-wrenching it would be for him? These are not just people he doesn't care about. These are faces he knows and names he knows and people he is compassionate for. It's no wonder the Bible calls him a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, because he takes upon himself the sorrows and the grief of the people he loves and the people he's created. He's not distant. Listen, hear that now. He's not distant from sufferers. He's not distant from those in pain and sorrow. And if that's you, he's not distant. He's compassionate. And friends, this is why, by the way, Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus goes to the cross because he does not detach himself from human suffering. In fact, he feels it so greatly, he loves so deeply, that he enters human suffering and takes the worst of it on himself so that we don't have to bear it. That's the gospel. The worst suffering a human can bear is not the suffering of sickness, of disease, or of death. The worst suffering a human can bear is the suffering of bearing God's wrath, paying for our own sins in hell forever. That is the worst of human suffering, and that's the suffering Jesus wants to alleviate And so Jesus came down to earth. He lived the life that you couldn't live, a perfect life pleasing to the Father. He willingly went to the cross. Why? So that you don't have to suffer the wrath of God. The wrath of God gets poured out on him. And he dies in your place. And on the third day, he rises again. Listen, you can trust Jesus because he's not distant. He's not aloof. He's compassionate. He's filled with pity. And if you can look on that cross... And you could see there, that's my Savior. And he paid for my sins because he's compassionate, because he's filled with pity, because he's sympathetic. And if you could see with eyes of faith that he is there to save you, you are forgiven your sins, washed clean, adopted by God, clothed in perfect righteousness. What a gospel. Jesus is alive right now. He still has the same pity and compassion as he did back then when he walked among the sick. He is now among us, among the sick, and his hand of grace is there, reaching out to anyone who would believe it. If you want a Savior, you can have him. His name is Jesus Christ, and he's available to you because he's a compassionate Savior filled with sympathy for those who are dying. Now, I just said a couple things that might confuse you, maybe befuddle you. I said this, just to track. He said, I said, Jesus 
is all-powerful. And I also said that Jesus is compassionate. And you might think to yourself, well, if Jesus is so compassionate, why doesn't he use his all-powerfulness to heal everyone? Well, he, he can do it, can't he? And he's compassionate, isn't he? I want, to know, I want you to notice something in the text, and then we're going to bring up our third point. I want you to notice this. Interestingly, Jesus never initiates any of the healings in these passages. In fact, if you read through the rest of the Gospel of Mark, you will never find a time that Jesus goes to a place for the purpose of healing. You won't see it. You won't see it in any of the Gospels. In all these times that healing happens, Jesus is doing something else, and he, he heals because someone initiates or goes to Jesus and, and asks for healing. He's teaching in the synagogue, and someone cries out, and Jesus has to deal with it, the man with the unclean spirit. He goes into the home of Simon's mother-in-law, and they bring her to him. He stays home, and everyone comes to him begging to be healed. Verse 35, he's praying. He's in a desolate place, praying to the Father. And it says that Simon comes to him and says, everyone's looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. They all wanted to be healed. The leper came to him in verse 40. He's not initiating any of these healings. His heart is full of compassion, and so he heals. But exorcism and Bodily healing isn't his number one priority. You say, well, what do you mean? Look at verse 38. When the whole city is there and they're clamoring to get Jesus' attention because they want to be healed, it's clear that to heal wasn't the number one thing Jesus was out there doing. Verse 38 says, to give you context, verse 37 says they found him, he had been praying, the disciples found him, and they say, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replies in verse 38, and he says to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Hold on. There's a bunch of sick people asking to be healed, and Jesus says, I actually need to go to other places and preach. He did leave people unhealed. People clamoring to get his attention. Many got healed, the text says, but he left and went to preach in other places. He went to preach all throughout Galilee. He went to preach, and as he's doing it, it says he casts out demons. Okay, what, do you, what point are you making here? Here's the third point, that Jesus' priority was to preach. Verse 21, he's preaching in the synagogue. Verse 39, he's preaching in all the synagogues in Galilee. And even if you jump to chapter 2, verse 2, you see that he's preaching the word to people again. In chapter 2, verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them several times. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is called teacher. It is his job. It's what he came to do. He says there, it's his words, I came out to preach. I came out to preach. Think about this. God, out of love for the world, sends his son. His son comes on a mission of love for 
the world, for his people. What does he do? He's preaching. He's preaching. See, listen to this. Humanity's greatest need is not that their bodies are made well, but that their souls are reconciled to God. And don't hear me say that Jesus doesn't care about our bodies. Because clearly he has pity and he's healing and he's healing. And listen, Jesus will heal our bodies perfectly someday. But for this time, as he came, and, and, and even today, what his priority is, is that the truth of how a sinful humanity can be reconciled to God, that's the main thing he's coming to present. It's not to make everyone healthy. It's not to make every, everything easy. It's not to make your life more comfortable or more convenient. He comes because people have bought into a lie and they need to be told what the truth is. See, people are saved when they come to learn that they are sinners and that God is holy. That's not something we just figure out on our own, that we need to be taught that. And the Bible teaches that, that God is holy. He created us in his image to worship him, that we have fallen, we have rebelled, and because of our rebellion, the Bible tells us that we deserve God's righteous anger, his righteous punishment. We deserve a penalty. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve death, and we will all die. We will die a physical death, but the Bible also teaches we are going to die a spiritual and eternal death unless we can be reconciled to God. The Bible's really clear. Without uh, any mediation, we're enemies of God because of our sin. And now maybe this is hard for you to understand. This is clearly what the Bible teaches, that all humanity is guilty. Maybe your conscience is telling you that. Your conscience is unsettled because you know it's true. There's sin there in your own heart. There's guilt there because you know you haven't lived up to God's holy and righteous standard. See, Jesus comes preaching because you need something greater than more years added to your life. You need something more than health. You need something that will cure your inner soul, reconcile you to God, and then in that relationship with God, you can be forever promised a right relationship with Him, which will result in eternal life and eternal glory with perfect healing forever. But if you're not reconciled to God, then it doesn't matter how healthy you are while you live. Jesus healed some, but more than that, he wanted to heal the soul, and so he preached the truth. See, most people are like sick people who don't know they're sick. Maybe this is you. You, you. Maybe this is new to you, what you're hearing about what Jesus did. To, he came to preach, and so the things that he taught are kind of new. Many of us, we're all born this way. We're born sick, and we don't even know it. And Jesus is like a doctor, and he, he gets us, and he says to us, listen, you're sick. You need to be healed. Now, if we don't listen to what he's saying, and we just go on with our life, then we're not going to ever experience the healing that he has for us. See, Jesus is coming, and spiritually, he's saying, we're all, you're spiritually sick. That's what he's saying. 
and no bodily healing is going to fix you. What you need is truth about what I have done. You need to be reconciled to God. And so if you go back to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, what was Jesus' message? The heart of what he said was this, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, Jesus prioritized preaching because he was calling you to repent. What does that mean? So you give up, this is what it means, give up on your life. Turn aside. Don't trust in anything else. Don't trust in the works you've done. Don't trust in the religion that you've uh, adhered to. Don't trust in anything except cast yourself at the mercy of God in Christ. He forgives all your sin. That's what repentance is, is now trusting him. What do sick and dying people need? Listen, they need truth. Not bare, cold truth, like slamming someone over the head with a Bible. They need, like Jesus, truth. Full-hearted, compassionate, filled with pity, uh, a truth that gets your hands dirty and self-sacrificial love, uh, but they need truth. And then let me ask you this as we kind of bring things to a close. Do you agree with Jesus' priority here? He prioritized teaching. Are you prioritizing listening? Even as a Christian, are you realizing that the main thing you need right now in life is to hear from his word? Could it be that we are clamoring to stay well, we're doing everything we can to make sure we're well, we're reading all the news to figure out what we need to do next, some of us are maybe hoarding, some of us are panicking, and yet, by looking at what Jesus prioritizes, we see the highest priority he had in the midst of sickness was that people hear the truth. Are you... Right now, as we all clamor to stay healthy, are you prioritizing hearing the truth from God's word that he has for you? Are you listening? I know you're meditating. You can't stop meditating. You're meditating on the news or you're meditating on your social media or you're meditating on your fears. Let me ask you, are you meditating on what God has said? is our greatest need. Are you listening and responding in faith? I think this, these are times, friends, you need to spend extra time meditating in the scriptures. These are the days that the shallow answers don't work. The trite, pat answers won't work. They won't uphold your heart. You need to dig deep wells for your soul. You need to be in the word and listen to the preached word. You need to listen to the scriptures say, well, why doesn't Jesus just heal all sickness? Why doesn't he just heal it all? I think God is getting our attention here, don't you? C.S. Lewis said it like this, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Listen, friends, the megaphone is on. We are all sick, and we are all dying, and Jesus came preaching 
Yes, he can heal. Yes, he has all authority and all power. Yes, he is filled with compassion. But could it be that he allows sickness? He allows fevers. He allows the coronavirus to spread. Why? So that the megaphone would be resounding around the world. Wake up and listen to what I've said. Listen to what the Word of God says. He is telling you he's Lord of all, that you're going to die, that you're guilty and in need of a Savior, but that he is the Savior, and he has provided salvation for you, and that by faith alone, trusting him, you are saved, and though your body will die, though your heart may fail, you have a Savior who will outlast this life and who will one day, listen, give you a new body that will never be sick again. What Jesus did in these verses is he gave us a little preview of the coming kingdom. The coming kingdom, there will be no demonic oppression. In the coming kingdom, there will be no sickness and disease or leprosy. There will be, uh, for every person, a brand new glorified body. The Lord Jesus himself, Jesus himself will give that to us. If you haven't trusted him, come to him. And if you're a Christian in these days, let me just repeat, you need more than anything else to pause and listen. More than you need to fight for your safety, and I would encourage you, make sure you're staying safe. But even more than that, you need to know what God is teaching us in his word. Listen and obey. Now is the time to hear. Today is the age of the ear. We listen to what God has said, we receive it by faith, and we obey. Would you pray with me? So Lord, we understand that you have all power, that you are filled with pity, and we know that you can heal, and that your compassion is greater than we know. And so we trust that the greatest thing for us right now is that we, in light of all the pain that's going on around us, that we are humbled. We know that it is so important for us to be humbled right now. And we thank you that you are doing good to us right now by humbling us. And may we, in our humility, listen. Lord, we want to listen. So I pray that we would spend extra time in Scripture these days, extra time in the Psalms, meditating on how we are to respond to suffering, extra time in the Gospels, learning what you're like, extra time in the Proverbs, studying what wisdom is like in times like this. So Lord, give us ears to hear as we give ourselves to your word. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's never listened to your truth at this point, they've never listened to the gospel with a heart of faith, I pray that you would create faith in their hearts, they would receive what you have to say, and they'd be saved. Lord, we pray all these things for your glory, in Jesus' name.